Good morning. I'd like to start early. Uh, could I get a thumbs up if you all are ready to go? <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, how was breakfast? Was it filling? Nutritious? I get some thumbs up on that. How was dinner last night? Did you gulp it down or did you savor every bite? In either case, Jesus provided the meal for you. We're going to see this as we look this morning at his miraculous feeding of the 5,000. This miracle carries the distinction that it was the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Just by way of review, the, um, the purpose of the Lord's miracles was not just to alleviate suffering and pain, although uh, his, um, almost all of his miracles did. Instead, the primary reason for the, for the miracles was as an authentication of the Lord's deity. It's um, a proof of his messiahship. And so the uh, miracles or mighty works or signs that Jesus did were demonstrations of the power of God. They were tokens of his divine authority. They testified, they certified of Jesus' genuineness as Messiah. Aren't you glad that he did? First thing you want to see if the Fremont police arrive at the uh, chapel or the PG&E repairman arrives at your door is what? You want to see proof of his official capacity. You want to see some certification, some uh, identity that he is who he says he is. And that's, um, that's what the miracles did for our Lord Jesus. Where does the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 fit among other miracles that Jesus did? My Bible lists 37 miracles. Over half of them were uh, curing the uncurable or they were raising dead people back to life. Jesus was undoing the effects of sin and Satan. Imagine the Lord Jesus on any day during his earthly ministry looking around his beautiful creation and seeing the devastation of mankind's disobedience and self-seeking. So half of these were uh, Jesus undoing the effects of sin. Um, five miracles exhibited Jesus' power over the physical world. Four exhibited his authority over the spiritual world. He was freeing victims from uh, demon possession. And uh, three, including today's miracle, uh, he provided basic human needs. So that's where this miracle fits in with, um, with his other signs, his other works of wonder. With that, let's turn to our scripture today. It's Matthew 14. And as you're turning there, just a reminder that um, with the invitation this morning, the link, Luke kindly sent um, a handout that shows the four accounts of 
the feeding of the 5,000 uh, by all four gospel writers. Now our emphasis is on the, the account by Matthew, but we're going to pull in important details from Mark, Luke, and John that help our understanding and appreciation for the Lord's work. You can print out the handout or split your computer screen to show it. It'll make today's lesson easier to follow. Matthew 14, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let's pray. Lord, you're a wonderful savior, a marvelous Lord, and uh, one who authenticates his ministry with signs, with miracles. And we pray that we might absorb the full significance of this feeding of the 5,000 as, uh, as we study it. We know that you have application for us today and we ask that you would impress that on our hearts that we might carry this throughout our remaining days uh, obeying you. We ask Lord Jesus in your name, amen. Well, let's, um, let's look at this passage in, um, in uh, four parts. Let's look at um, the Lord Jesus ministering instead of taking his needed rest. Then uh, the Lord's followers were unable to meet the needs of those around them. Third, Jesus was fully able to meet their needs. And then uh, fourth, how this miracle should affect our lives today. There were two things in our passage that the Lord Jesus heard, either one of them prompting the change that uh, Matthew wrote about. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat. And um, remember that last week, Herod had this flashback of uh, John the Baptist and, and his uh, ministry. Um, Herod ordered the death of John the Baptist and it was because of this guilt that, um, that Herod was uh, recalling and it caused Herod to have this misguided imagining that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Therefore, we read in Luke 9, 9, Herod sought to see Jesus. And um, 
so that was one reason why Jesus departed. Another was that um, the disciples had gone out on a preaching journey, we read in Luke 9, and that they had returned from their journey and the Lord Jesus instructed his disciples to rest. In fact, we read in Mark 6, uh, verse 31, he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not have even, uh, even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. So they needed rest. They started at Nazareth, west of the Sea of Galilee, and they traveled um, by boat to a deserted place belonging to Bethsaida, we learn in Luke 9.10. Bethsaida is on the north coast of the Sea of Galilee. So if I stretch a line between Nazareth and Bethsaida, it's about 22 miles, straight line on the map. They, uh, they went to a deserted place, not um, a desolate place, not desert, but the meaning of that word deserted means uninhabited. So um, it, was, um, it was a lonely place, it was an isolated or remote place, but it wasn't a desert. It was close enough for the townspeople to walk to. I'm uh, searching for an illustration here of um, what that would have looked like and uh, how many are familiar with Tilden Park in um, Berkeley or uh, okay or Garen Park in Hayward okay and if you're not familiar with either one of those how about Coyote Hills in Fremont we um, we know that um, those are really uninhabited places, there, there's no um, In-N-Out Burger, there's, um, uh, there are no apartments or houses there. Um, and actually, uh, the gospel writers indicate that there was much grass there in, um, in this uh, deserted place. So it was probably a comfortable place to spend the day. Like Tilden and Garen and Coyote Hills, it was uh, surrounded or at least close by um, towns and villages. So imagine uh, as the Lord is, um, is ministering to these people what it could have looked like. Having heard it in, uh, in verse 13, the multitudes followed him on foot from the cities. Mark in chapter 6 indicates that they ran there on foot and arrived before Jesus and his disciples. What was it that so motivated these people that they ran to Jesus? In verse 14 of our text, Jesus went out and saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. Reminds, um, reminds me of our worship meeting this morning. He uh, has mercy on them, on their condition. And Luke 9 indicates that he received them. He received the multitude. That means that he welcomed them. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't an inconvenience for him 
but um, he was glad to see them. He healed their sick. Again, this was a, um, an undoing of, um, of the ravages of sin in uh, the Lord's creation. He saw, Mark uh, tells us in, um, um, I believe, uh, 634, he says that the multitude were as sheep without a shepherd. And um, I remember from Matthew, our study in Matthew 936, that um, the scribes and Pharisees cared not for the sheep, but they oppressed them and they effectively scattered the sheep. And so what Jesus saw when he saw this multitude coming toward him was uh, really people who in their hearts were scattered, they were oppressed. And so in uh, Mark 634, Jesus taught them many things. What do you think Jesus taught them? In Luke 9, we read that he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Not a great surprise. But this would be a day, this would not be the day of rest that the disciples anticipated. Evening came, verse 15. The Lord's disciples came to him and they said, this is a deserted place. The hour is late. Send the crowd away to buy food. The disciples were thoughtless. Uh, I'm sorry, they were thoughtful of others' needs, but they were thoughtless of the way to meet those needs. The Lord Jesus had just sent the disciples on a, a preaching journey, fully equipped, fully supplied, all that they needed. But here, these same disciples suggest that he send them away empty, uh, hungry. Perhaps it was the sheer size of the crowd that distracted the disciples. Each of the gospel writers records that there were 5,000 men plus women and children. What does a 5,000 person crowd look like? Using a modern rule of thumb, we should be able to seat 5,000 people on an acre of land. So sitting on chairs in neat rows without aisles, we could conceivably fit 5,000 people in Warbler Park. Warbler Park is right down the street. Uh, we've had our ice cream socials there and uh, it's an acre, it's 1.2 acres. So we can fit, we can seat 5,000 people in Warbler Park. However, we're going to double the area because we're not sitting on chairs, we're sitting on the ground, and then we're going to triple that area because we are dealing not just with 5,000 men, but women and children. So we end up with an area equivalent to the size of Sylvester Harvey Park across Alvarado Boulevard from the chapel. That's um, uh, half the park is six acres. So um, next time you pass Harvey Park, imagine what the field would look like teeming with thousands of active men and women and children. 
what would you do for 15,000 people who were hungry? You feel, uh, if you were like the disciples, you felt a responsibility for their welfare. Well, um, so the disciples want to send them away. Send them, send them out to uh, the town and they can get food out there. But in verse 16, Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. This must have shocked the disciples. Um, we don't have, um, we don't have food for them. Philip was the first to speak up. He said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. We read in John 6, 7. You know, Philip was closer to the mark than we may realize. A denarius was equivalent to a day's wage. If we take 200 days wages and we spread those over 5,000 men, uh, today's wages among 5,000 men, there would be about $10 per person. That would be enough for a Chick-fil-A 12-piece chicken combo for each man. Satisfying for the man, but what about the man's family? Philip says, no, it's not enough. 200 denarii. What Philip wasn't realizing and what one preacher commented was that here is, here is Philip standing next to Niagara Falls asking where he can find water. The solution is here, but uh, it was beyond the scope, beyond the reach of Philip's faith. And so Philip, in his honesty, did not suggest it to the Lord. He said instead, uh, 200 denarii is not, not enough. The Lord didn't rebuke Philip, but on the contrary, he took Philip up on the, on the challenge. He asks his disciples, how many loaves do you have in Mark 6.38? There may have been several reasons for Jesus' question. First, and uh, perhaps most importantly, he may have wanted his disciples to know from personal experience their profound inability to meet the need. Second, he may have wanted the multitude to know that there were not those in the crowd with a huge supply of food. Modern critics would try to explain away this miracle by suggesting that there were many in the crowd who were full of extra food just waiting to redistribute this food in um, uh, in the crowd, and they, they would try to, um, to de-supernaturalize the Lord's work. So those are reasons why Jesus may have asked that question, how many loaves do you have? One disciple may have opened his mouth to explain to the Lord that there was no hidden surplus of food. The Lord cut his explanation short. He said, um, he said, go and see. In, um, um, I don't have my notes here, but um, 
he said, uh, go and see. So the disciples may have thought to themselves, we know there is no extra food, but the Lord told us, go and see. The Lord had asked people previously to do unusual things. At a wedding in Cana, not too long before this, he had um, directed the servants at the wedding to fill six water pots with water. These were big pots. They were 20, 20 or 30 gallon pots. That was unusual. Um, here, here they were serving at the wedding and um, uh, one of the chief guests suggests that you go fill these pots with water. And they did. What was more unusual was that he then directed them to draw and take to the master of the feast. That was unusual. It would have taken real courage to do that. They had courage to do that. And the result was the manifesting of Jesus' glory by turning water into wine. We read the account in John 2. A second instance of asking people to do unusual things was uh, at a spot not too far from where they were standing here, the Lord instructed Simon Peter after a day of teaching and after a night of uh, not catching anything, he told Peter in Luke 5, he said, launch out into the deep for a catch. Unusual. Unusual to Peter, <laughs> who said, um, Lord, we've labored all night, but at your bidding, we will go. The Lord rewarded Peter with a, a groaning, uh, breaking net full of fish, with another revelation of his glory, and with a revelation, with a commission from the Lord, that from then on, Peter would be a fisher of men. What do faithful lieutenants do? They do exactly what the commander tells them. So the disciples made their way through the crowd asking for food. 15,000 people, hungry people. It was unusual, but the disciples were learning and relearning that obedience to the Lord brings blessing. An example today, the Lord asks his followers, he, um, he wants his followers to present their bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It seems unusual, even unreasonable to many, but the Lord says it's our reasonable service. How does it sound to you? Well, the disciples were out there um, and they returned. Andrew reported in John 9, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. And then he may have laughed as he added, but what are they among so many? I think of um, this lad as a youngster, maybe Justin's age, maybe a little bit younger. The lad knew what he was doing, that he was giving uh, a meal that he had for certain. He, he, he was sure 
that, uh, that he was going to have something to eat, and he was giving his meal away. He was giving all that he had. We, um, we commend the youngster for his, um, for his insight and for his sacrifice and for uh, realizing who Jesus is. What we offer may seem woefully adequate. What we offer may, in fact, be woefully inadequate. But the Lord's response was, bring them here to me. We see the, um, the inadequacy of um, the disciples to fill the need um, and uh, the uh, loaves and fish don't, don't seem to help that much. But in our next section we see that Jesus is fully able to meet the needs. He says um, in verse 18, bring them here to me. There were other instances where the Lord uh, had required something small from people, and yet it was all they had. In um, 1 Kings 17, there was a widow of Zarephath. And um, the Lord, through his, um, through his prophet, required her last handful of flour. She said, I'm going to take this flour, I'm going to make a, um, uh, a cake, and I'm going to feed my son and me before we die. That was all she had. And the Lord required that from her. Another instance of the widow of 2 Kings 4 had nothing in her house but a jar of oil. The Lord uh, used that jar of oil for her livelihood. Small, terribly small, insignificant, but uh, great in the Lord's hands. What are these among so many, Philip would ask. The smaller our all, the greater the Lord's glory as we give that to him and he displays his power through it. In verse 19, the Lord commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. Interesting word uh, to sit. If you look up in Vine's dictionary, you find that um, that sit conveys uh, the, um, the meaning of reclining at, uh, at dinner. So um, he, he commands the, um, the multitude to uh, break up into groups of 50 to 100 and to recline as for dinner in preparation for a meal. This must have stirred the curiosity of the hungry multitude then Jesus, taking the uh, five loaves and the two fish, he, uh, he looked up to heaven. He, um, in perfect communion with his Father, he gave thanks. Thank you, Father, for this, um, for your provision. And then uh, blessing the loaves and fish for the multitude's benefit, he broke them and he gave to the disciples to set before them. It's so comforting, so Interesting that the Lord employed the helpless to help others. He, uh, he didn't give the loaves to the multitude. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave. They set um, the meal before them. 
And in verse, um, verse 20, uh, all ate and were filled. It wasn't a snack for the men. All ate. And um, no one went away hungry. All were satisfied. In fact, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. The Lord supplied above and beyond their needs. And yet, there was no waste. Nothing, uh, nothing was, um, was left behind. Wonderful, wonderful uh, provision by the Lord Jesus in meeting the needs of um, uh, many, uh, too many for us to, uh, to meet ourselves. So um, how should this miracle affect our lives today? There are, um, there are a lot of applications. We're going to look at um, seven or so. The first one, the Lord provides the needs of every living thing. He does so compassionately. He does so graciously. He does so abundantly. This um, miraculous feeding illustrates the truth of the Old Testament scripture found in Psalm 145 verses 15 and 16. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. While the Lord Jesus miraculously fed these 5,000, he was at the same time feeding other creatures of, um, of, the, of the earth. Less miraculously, perhaps, but the routineness of the Lord's care, uh, grace and abundance are not routine. They are extraordinary. <clears throat> Consider that in the Amazon rainforest, there are as many as 2.5 million species of insects. Not 2.5 million insects. We may think we have them all if we go down the river, uh, the Amazon River, uh, I've heard reports. But 2.5 million species of insects. <clears throat> and the Lord is supplying their food daily. Jesus' primary focus, however, is on the 8 billion people who are alive today. And not on their physical feeding, but on their spiritual feeding, their spiritual welfare. So um, what should be our response to the Lord's compassionate, gracious, abundant provision of our needs? Well, we should acknowledge his ceaseless care for us. The first thing is to acknowledge. <clears throat> I'm making up a story here of um, a family, a family with youngsters seated in a restaurant. Near them is, uh, is a man, uh, maybe a businessman, um, sitting at a table. And uh, the family with the youngsters bows their heads and they thank the Lord. And uh, as he looks up, one of the youngsters notices the man digging into his um, steak dinner without giving thanks. Wide-eyed, the youngster, disbelieving, says, that man didn't give thanks. He didn't thank the Lord. 
the man hears and he, um, he turns and he, he says to the father of the child, he says, I have no one to thank but myself. The, um, the dad, taking opportunity, he said, um, really? Where do you think that stake came from? And the man replied, um, came from a rancher who raises steers. The dad says, well, where did the steer come from? And the man replied, from other steers feeding on the grass. The dad asked, and the grass? The man said, it came from the earth and the sun. The dad said, and the earth and the sun? The man said, from the Big Bang. This is all too much for the youngster. He exclaimed, earth and sun, grass, cows, ranchers, all these things come from the Lord. And so we too must acknowledge that it's the Lord Jesus who supplies in the uh, food process every step of the way, moment by moment, each person in, uh, in the earth. And so we should, we should acknowledge him for being our provider. The second thing is um, we should trust the Lord. This mir miraculous feeding is an illustration of um, not just Psalm 145, but also of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember back to Matthew 6 and verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? We need to trust the Lord for this food. In fact, um, looking back at Psalm 145, uh, it says, um, the eyes of all look expectantly to you. We need to look expectantly to the Lord for his provision of our food and our drink. We should not doubt his provision. Yet um, we gather into barns and into banks to supply against that day when the Lord's not going to provide. And our laying up treasures on earth are positive disobedience to the Lord. Our imagined self-sufficiency is the ruin of God's abundant provision for us. We should acknowledge the Lord as our provider. We should trust him. We should worship the Lord as, uh, as our provider. Bow down before him as, um, as our God. The second lesson is um, um, that we should give what we have to the Lord Jesus. And it's, um, it's remarkable that the lad figures so, so prominently in this account. 
the Lord could have done the miracle uh, without the lad. He could have provided for them as, as he's provided for us so regularly. Um, and yet he, uh, he chose this, um, this lad with his, um, his uh, small meal um, for a purpose, for a lesson for us. Really, his offering was inadequate. Um, it could feed a child, but what was it going to do among so many? What we have, what you and I have, may be pathetically small, but he will multiply it. Our, uh, our offering, our possessions, ourselves, he will multiply to the blessing of the multitudes. Thinking especially of the gospel and our circle of influence, Kitty Suffield wrote in a hymn, she said, does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it, for he'll not forsake his own. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. We should give what we have to the Lord for his blessing. Yeah, it seems small, it seems uh, insignificant, but in the hands of, uh, of our provider, our multiplier, it, um, he will do great things through it. Third lesson for us is um, Jesus provided more than was needed. He's a bountiful giver. He is abundant in his, uh, in his goodness um, toward us. We need, to, uh, we need to recognize that. Uh, fourth lesson is that none of the fragments of the loaves and fishes were left behind. So uh, God provides, he gives us what we need, he gives us beyond what we need, but there's nothing to be wasted. I think uh, as Americans, we waste things. And all I have to do is, um, is walk down my street to recognize that we're casting off uh, usable items and uh, we are uh, wasteful of the Lord's provision. Another lesson is um, that the Lord is compassionate toward those who acknowledge him and to those who do not acknowledge him. He loves people whether they respond to his love or not. In Matthew 5, we read, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So uh, it's raining and um, it's raining on the just and on the unjust. He, um, uh, he sends his rain. We, in, uh, in loving others, should love them whether they respond or not. It's... Um, it's an imperative. It's, it's uh, something that we should imitate the Lord in our, um, in our gospel outreach and to, uh, to love those who don't love us. Perhaps they're incapable of loving us. We're going to love them nevertheless. Uh, sixth lesson is the Lord did not distribute the, the food himself. We, um, uh, we noted that already. We are the Lord's hands and feet in the, in the world today. Uh, yes, he enables us to serve, but we are his 
agents were his instruments. We are those who, um, who make distribution of his, his bounty. And then um, finally, had the disciples insisted on their day off, the Lord could not have performed the miracles as he did. So uh, he calls us to rest. Um, we are weary <clears throat> and yet opportunities arise. Uh, we call them uh, interruptions. The Lord calls them our appointments and we do well to, uh, to follow him, to follow his instruction. All that being said, have a good lunch. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, um, this look at your, your hands, um, providing the, um, uh, the needs that we have, not just food, but uh, spiritual food, um, providing us the gospel truth, and um, doing so in a way that we as needy sinners now uh, can have eternal life. We're grateful for the, um, the sacrifice that you made at Calvary uh, for us, taking our sin. And now um, uh, that you've blessed us, we can uh, bless others. We can uh, distribute the, um, the goods that you have given to us. So we, uh, we praise you. We look for opportunities this week to apply the truths from your word. And um, we trust that you will receive the glory for it. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.